Welcome back to Elizabeth Spring here at North Node Astrology, and I'm from northnodeastrology.com. And today I'm I'm going to do something a little bit different. Um, as most of you know, I have a background in the work of Carl Jung, a Swiss psychiatrist uh, who I never met, but I have great admiration for. And I wrote about him in a book called Saturn Returns, The Private Papers of a Reluctant Astrologer. And I'm going to read chapter 16 from this book. It's called Entering Sacred Ground, Carl Jung's Stone Retreat. Now, this book is part memoir, part novel, part nonfiction. Uh, so it definitely is a little bit different, but I think you might get something out of this. There is some mention of the nodes in astrology towards the end, and those of you who like the work of Carl Jung will uh, probably enjoy hearing this. So let's begin. <laughs> Chapter 16, Saturn Returns, The Private Papers of a Reluctant Astrologer. Entering Sacred Ground, Carl Jung's Stone Retreat. When you really know someone, you know what they like, and it should be simple to give others what they like, but it's not. We often don't even care enough to give ourselves what we need, but there are times when we do care and we do give. This was one of those times. Peter cared, or at least he cared enough. He knew what I wanted. He knew enough about me to know that if I was in Zurich, there was only one thing I wanted. It was to see Carl Jung's stone tower on the shores of Lake Zurich. Jung, the famous Swiss psychologist, was my spiritual mentor, and for me this was a chance to visit a sacred site. I knew that Jung started building his private retreat late in life and that it took him 40 years to complete. I knew that few people had ever seen his private retreat, and yet I had always yearned to see the dream images painted on the walls of his study and to see the sculpted images he carved on the stones surrounding the tower. I'd seen photographs of him there in his 80s, pipe and book in hand, simply sitting and looking out over the waters. His sculpting tools and paints were sometimes shown in the background. Jung's sanctuary was evocative of medieval times with its turrets, archways, and courtyard. He built this temenos, this sacred retreat, as a place where he could study alchemy and astrology during his years of exile from the Swiss psychoanalytic community. It was here that he carved Greek, Latin, and astrological hieroglyphics into massive stones. Here on the shores of the lake was the Orthon Stone, an abandoned block of stone that workers had left behind, a stone that Jung carved for himself in recognition of his 75th birthday. Peter, as a clay worker, could understand Jung's comment, I need not have written any books, it's all here on the stone. And that was why we found ourselves outside the door in front of Carl Jung's house one day. The devastating news was that we couldn't go in, 
and what I'd wanted to see was not even there. His mystical retreat was over in Bollingen on the eastern shores of the lake and not at Jung's family's house in Zurich. So Peter took a photograph of me pretending to smile in front of the house we couldn't go into, and then we retreated in despair. However, the next day Peter had an idea, and by late afternoon we were kayaking along the gentle shores of Lake Zurich, gazing up at Jung's numinous stone tower. Shall we go ashore? Peter asked. I stared up at the imposing walls and the barred, shuttered windows. This was not the kind of thing that Peter would usually suggest. He tended to be one who honored rules and regulations and was not one to trespass. The idea was so out of of character for him. I must have looked at him as if he was crazy, but I nodded my head. Of course, I said, a little adventure. Peter knew me, and he cared. He wanted to do this for me. And so we kayaked through the rocks and reeds along the shoreline till we hit ground. The ivy-covered tower sat poised next to the lake. We could hear only the lapping of little waves on the shore, and it appeared as if no one was in sight. There was a huge tree in front of us that looked like it had been struck by lightning. Could this be the same rumored tree that Jung had spent so many hours under? The one that had been struck by lightning the day he died. We waded through the mud and held our breath as we approached the arched doorway of the tower. I could see the inscription Jung had carved above the door. Vocatus artic non vocatus dus adorit. I whispered to Peter, it says, called or not called, God is present. I was certainly hoping that no one else would be present but God. We could be in serious trouble for this. Come here, Peter, motioned to me. He tried the latch on the door, but it didn't budge. Then, like a kid, Peter hoisted me up to look in through a window, an arched opening in the wall. And there was Philemon. He's there, Philemon, I I exclaimed. I could see Jung's painting of a wise old man on the curved walls of the study. He was huge with the outstretched iridescent wings of the rare bird, the kingfisher. Here was Jung's beloved muse, his spiritual mentor. I had just shown Peter a copy of this the day before in the recently released Red Book, the book that was the journal Jung kept during those years of transition when he suffered the divorce from his mentor, Sigmund Freud. Some say those were the years of his psychosis. For Jung, those were the years to paint, sculpt, and play in the sand by the shores of the lake. Peter lifted me down from the window. Maybe we're pressing our luck. I mean, our time. He looked at me as if I was hoping I'd had enough. We both knew there had to be a watchman somewhere around there, but I couldn't believe how quiet it was. Peter's face flushed. What did it take for him to disobey, to trespass like this? This was not his style, but he was doing it for me. We started to carefully make our way back, approaching the rocky shore. I kept staring at the carved stones around me, and then I saw it. It was a bird, large, recently dead, and with the same outstretched wings as Philemon. 
It lay under a carved image of a serpent in a rock, and it had the same dark, iridescent wings. I reached for it, but Peter pulled me back and hurried me towards the boat. The land began giving way to sand, then mud, and suddenly I lost my balance among the tall water weeds. I could see through the murky water that one of my feet had sunk deep between two rocks. My foot was sinking deeper into the mud, and the tall grasses looked like they could be a camouflage for snakes. I tried to pull myself up, but my foot was stuck. I yanked the foot out and fell back into the water. Ugh, I yelled, a quick, sharp pain shooting around my ankle. It's twisted, I yelled again. And yet I could tell right away it was more than that. I wanted to dismiss this sensation and the after feeling. It was as if I knew something, some little bone had snapped, broken. How can I say it? I just felt unhinged, a little broken, shocked. There was a sense that my body wasn't going to let me dismiss this fall so easily. Peter was next to me in an instant, and what I saw reflected back in his face was a tiny terror, a sense that I was paralyzed, perhaps, or scared, or simply needing him. He swung his arm underneath me as I let myself collapse into his arms. He carried me over onto the grass, only a few feet away from the water's edge, and laid me down softly. I looked up at the sky and could see the outline of a burnt tree above my head. The beginning of a shiver began creeping into me. Was it getting cold? Peter laid a sweater over me. It seemed as if the winds had picked up and the sky was being painted colors. The colors weren't there before. The sky wasn't that shade of indigo. I could see Peter looking around us as if help would miraculously be there. Instead, I turned my head and saw it. There was a dead bird next to me. There was the kingfisher, all black and silvery luminescent and unmoving. Closing my eyes, the pain became pervasive, like shock. I knew I needed something. Uh, The bird, I whispered. The shock of seeing Jung's painted bird there, lying next to me at that very moment, was the only thing on my mind. Somehow, if I could have that bird... I could be like the phoenix. I could be the one who could die and be reborn from her own ashes. I could be a phoenix. I want it, Peter. I want the bird. He looked down at me. He looked scared. He looked at the bird, then looked back at me. The shimmering got stronger. I closed my eyes tighter. And then it was as if I was beginning to see through my eyes lights and shimmering mandalas, were radiating through some deep darkness, and then they began looking like charts. There was Young's chart, and mine, and Peter's chart, all appearing and disappearing, overlapping mandalas of each other. There was my chart, with my son, Neptune and Venus, all clumped together, and then Peter's chart rising up into it like a developing photograph. Peter's Neptune was radiating through my Venus, the symbol of idealism in love. Had I ever told him that? And then Jung's mandala of the chart appeared. I could see his south node 
the astrological point of past life connection, like a bright star conjoining my Neptune and Venus. Why hadn't I seen this ancient connection before between us? Why hadn't I seen this hint of interconnected past lives? Why was my body quivering so much? And then I felt him. Peter laid his warm body across mine completely. The weight and heat from his body permeated mine like a warm comforter on a cold winter's day. I could feel the moisture from his breath, and I breathed it in like an infusion to ease the shock. The images of light and symbols began fading as I opened my eyes to Peter's soft gaze. To say I had never felt this way before was obvious, but to say I had never seen such love in his eyes was true. It brought me back. The bird, Peter, please get it. He looked at me as if I had just told him to shoot me, as if I were a wounded horse asking to be shot. Just wrap the bird up and we'll take him home. And then he got up. I watched him as he walked over to the kingfisher. He stood staring down at the mythological bird for a moment, and I wondered what he knew about it, if he knew that it contained both good and bad omens. Jung must have seen the bird on these same shores before he painted them on Philemon, his otherworldly mentor. Peter bent over the dead bird, but I couldn't see what he was doing at first, and then I saw or heard he was removing a wing. It had to be twisted off. Peter groaned a little. I squeezed my eyes shut and reminded myself that the bird couldn't feel pain. And then I could feel the pain in my ankle return. But more than that, what I really felt was the weight of my body and the pull of the earth beneath me, like a magnet. I, too, was being pulled apart, and I didn't know if I could release myself. I tried to control my breathing. I felt heavy, rooted here to this earth, wanting to be whole again. Yet I couldn't move. Maybe I, too, was a dead bird. Were my wings being torn off? Peter walked back to me, and I felt his hand on my chest, gently rocking me and calling my name. I opened my eyes. He slowly waved a long feather in front of me. You did it. My eyes could see every detail, and a little breeze moved the feathers. It's like a feather, a feather on the breath of God, I said. He placed it in my hand. Then he leaned over and kissed me on the forehead, then on the nape of my neck and finally on my lips. They were so soft and pure, like the first time we ever kissed. Come, it's not meant for us to stay here any longer. Come. And he scooped me up and carried me into the kayak. In another hour, we were back at the hotel, my ankles soaked with ice, my heart full and grateful. Why had this mattered so much? Why did it seem as if all that mattered now was Peter and the presence of one small blue-black feather? Maybe heroic deeds happened in strange ways. What had been rescued? Called or not called, God is present. Jung's words and a small heroic deed. A wounding and a flight. Ah, we had approached the castle at Lindisfarne, first by foot, and now Jung's stone retreat by water. 
We had claimed a victory and a little prize, a feather of hope. It felt like a good omen. Okay. <clears throat> and that's a chapter from the book Saturn Returns, The Private Papers of a Reluctant Astrologer. And it is on Amazon if any of you are interested in maybe reading this. And it's put together as... Um, it's about Saturn returns uh, that we all experience at age 29 and 59. And it's about two women. Um, one is the memoir of an astrologer during her second Saturn return. And the other one is uh, a younger woman of 29 in her first Saturn return. So in the very end of the book, I do bring in the nonfiction uh, chapters where you can look up where Saturn is in your chart and uh, a couple chapters about the Saturn returns. So if you're interested, it's there on Amazon, Saturn Returns, the private papers of a reluctant astrologer. Anyway, I enjoyed reading this to you today. Um, and I hope you did too. Bye-bye for now. Mm -hmm.